Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Ruben Harris, the CEO of Career Karma, a community of peers, mentors, and coaches that will help you land a dream career in tech. In this episode, we talk about how they are becoming the number one destination for career advice on the internet. They have some very lofty goals over at Career Karma. Again, to all of that, we discuss how this really got started, though, in the first place, and how Ruben himself broke into tech, their experience going through Y Combinator, their experience fundraising as well during their seed round, what's fueled the growth for Career Karma in the last year since they went through Y Combinator, the business model behind Career Karma, and really how Career Karma is going to become a $100 billion company. This is such a fascinating interview and so excited for you to listen. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And... To get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Ruben Harris, the CEO of Career Karma. Ruben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited to have this chat. And uh, where I'd like to start is just kind of an overview of what is Career Karma? What are you guys doing with the company? Yeah, so Career Karma is the easiest way to find a job training program online. Uh, we started with, we serve blue collar workers between the age of 25 and 35 years old who want to get a job in tech. Um, and we help people uh, get jobs in six different career paths right now. Um, you know, as, as you know, job retraining is a huge growing trend and every education player is getting in the game. And now that millions of Americans are filed for unemployment and 54% of the workforce requires reskilling by 2022, as people struggle to pick which job training program is best for them, Career Karma will match them to the right training, but also give them support during the training, during the job search, and for the rest of their life. Can you give us a little bit more on like what that looks like if someone kind of just signs up and what the process is? I know people are going to be wondering about it. I would love to hear more about like when someone starts with Career Karma, like what does this process look like? Uh, how does it kind of look from the back end of actually someone using the product? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, with 9,000 bootcamps and trade schools and 16 million people enrolling per year, um, the reason why people choose Career Karma to navigate and accelerate their career is because we make it super easy to figure out which program or programs are best for you. So the user journey begins by you filling out a profile on Career Karma called Fast Track. Um, so you go to careercarma.com slash apply. And once you fill out your, your Fast Track profile, you'll be able to explore different career paths. Then our app will match you to different job training programs. After that, You'll begin applying and you'll get tactical advice from people in our community to get accepted. And then once you get accepted into a training program, 
you join a group in our community called a squad that helps you complete the training program. And finally, you're going to connect to other students and alumni to get introductions to companies in order to get a job. That's awesome. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to be familiar with how this got started, but I think that's kind of some of the most fascinating parts of, of startups in terms of, okay, I can see where you're at now. I love the context. Take me through then the beginning. So starting Career Karma, deciding to go this route. I know you had obviously a big podcast before. Like, How did you decide to start Career Karma though? Yeah. I mean, Career Karma is a product we wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. So my co-founders, uh, Archer and Timor Meister, they went through boot camps themselves. Um, and my brother also did a boot camp. So we intimately understand the upside and the challenges to rapid reskilling. Um, I'll, I'll give the backstory in a second. Um, but just to continue on this point, our team's also technical. And we built marketplaces before. So um, Archer, when he got his first job out of a coding boot camp, he joined a fintech peer-to-peer marketplace called Funding Circle. Um, then my other co-founder, Timur, he led the first iOS and Android team at a car marketplace called Auto Trader. And then I worked on aggregating nursing supply at a caregiving marketplace called Honor. And so we really understood the dynamics of matching supply with demand. Yeah. And, um, the way that we discovered um, boot camps in the first place was during our time in um, investment banking, actually. So for some of you all that, I mean, I'm, I'm 33 years old, but when I was in college, um, back in my day, people wanted to become investment bankers and consultants. <laughs> you know, that was, that's what everybody wanted to do. Yeah. And so I, and, and the reason they would do it was for something that they call exit opportunities. If you, if you work for one to three years as an investment banker or a consultant and you have that on your resume, essentially the, the saying goes, you can do whatever you want. You can make as much money as you want. Like just kind of like how college is sold, but this is yeah. like the old standard on your resume. People, See, assume that you're smart, you work hard, and things like that, right? And so, um, you know, as we were in the banking world, the world started changing to a tech-driven world, and people started quitting their banking and consulting jobs to become tech leaders. And when I was in banking, it was during um, the financial crisis, the the um, the Occupy Wall Street movement, you know, that type of thing, which is kind of similar to like how we're in a crisis right now, um, yeah. where you know, when I was in banking, people started talking about tech, but now everybody's talking about tech because COVID crisis is like super accelerating it, right? Yeah. And so one day, one of our buddies quit, like he quit his job as an investment banker and popped up as an engineer a few months later. And we're like, how did he do that? And he actually um, did a boot camp called Flatiron School. And he was in the same cohort as another guy who was also an investment banker before that um what became an engineer his name is jack altman who's sam altman's brother mm. uh, now the ceo of, of of lattice and uh that's how we discovered y combinator um and so at that time none of us knew how to code but we knew we wanted to build a massive hundred billion dollar company but if we wanted to do that we needed to know tech and so yeah. somebody had to decide who was going to be technical because you can't build a a tech company without technical people on your team. And so my co-founders decided to um, do boot camps. Um, they're twin brothers. So one decided to focus on the front end. The other one focused on the back end. They did um, App Academy and Hack Reactor. And while they did that, I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco. And I got a job three weeks later. And I wrote a story about it called Breaking into Startups, which is 
um, it leads to what you talked about related to the podcast. And that story blew up. And the reason why I called it Breaking Into Startups is because um, I had taken a class called Breaking Into Wall Street to break into finance to become yeah. a banker. Um, and it's that's a course that's still around today. So I was very familiar with online courses. And, um, and then when my co-founders moved out to become engineers, we wrote another story called The Reality of Breaking Into Startups, The First Product You Build Is Yourself, which led to us creating a podcast that was for us by us, to quote the great Damon Johns and <laughs> um, and, um, and create something where we share stories of everyday people like you and me that figured out how to break into tech. And so long story short, or long story, long story, through sharing stories of everyday people that broke into tech and the stories of people that were running rapid reskilling programs like boot camps and government leaders that were trying to provide opportunities for people, we discovered the issue related to workforce development and rapid reskilling and 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 positioned ourselves early on to create a chatbot that would match people to training programs and realize that we needed to do more. So we created Career Comma, did a Y Combinator ourselves, raised some money, and here we are today. Love it, man. There's a lot to dig into there. One thing that I saw that really caught my eye, just looking through your LinkedIn, was 1,900 cold emails to potential employers for investment banking. Have you always had that type of hustle, Ruben? Always, bro. It's, just, <laughs> it's the same thing for fundraising, right? Like you gotta, you gotta, it, like the job search is a sales process. Like a, a lot of things in life are a sales process. And most of the things that you're gonna get are gonna come through a massive amount of effort where only a few of uh, only a little bit of of those things result in the in the in what you were going for right so yeah. you have to understand that whenever you achieve, like pursue big things or things that you that are that you desire and i think that was instilled in me since i was little so yeah at that time, I mean, sending that many emails, I'm just want to hammer that home real quick for a sec. I, wh what were you doing then in terms of your strategy to, to send that many different emails out to people? Like, What was your process at that time, Ruben? Yeah, well, you want to create a pipeline first, right? So you want to figure out, so what kind of people are you going to target, right? So is it is it by location? Is it by demographic? Is it going to be like, let me put a list together of all these investment bankers that I can find that didn't go to Ivy League schools, for example, located in Atlanta, that are working for bulge bracket banks or or, or boutique investment banks, right? Um, whatever, like you narrow it down. Um, or, or, or are the musicians, right? You want to come up with some kind of selection criteria to create a pipeline. Let's say it's like 100 people. And then you want to create some kind of a template that allows you to create some personalization when you reach out to them, right? You yeah. don't want to send the same email to everybody, but in the interest of time, you do want to have a structure for the type of messages that you send out. And then you're going you're gonna to reach out to those people and say something that's going to catch their attention to let them know that it's personal and get a response, even if it's a no. Because I'm totally fine if you respond and you tell me no. Yeah. And then you once you have that template, you want to create a cadence of how you're going to get through your pipeline quickly, all right? Like you should be able to get through a pipeline of 100 people very easily. Um, yeah. Like within like a week, less than a week, you can do that. But let's say it's a week, right? You know, if you want to do it in five days, that's 20 emails a day, right? And you know, you you do that, 
and then you're going to get some responses, right? And you're also going to get some people that don't respond. So you also want to create a template for what's your follow-up cadence and how often are you going to follow up? So are you going to follow up every two days or three days, which is usually what I like to, to do, right? Until you get a response. Um, and then you might have another response for the non-response to the second cadence, right? So you, 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 got, to, you got to create, you got to be persistent, right? A lot of people are really good at opening but very bad at closing, right? Yeah. And so, um, I mean, this is typical sales stuff. And then uh, once you get on the phone with them, you got to, not just have a conversation that sounds good. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a conversation with them where they see themselves in you, right? They, they, they believe in you. Like a lot of people, they lead with their credentials or their skills or their professional accolades, but you want to show them that you are a human being that cares about others, that can remind the person that you're seeking guidance from of themselves to where they want to put their reputation on the line to have your back. And I'm a product of other people helping me and believing in me. Yeah, I think well, I mean, we all are for sure. And I think recognizing that's important. I wanted to ask about the cold emails for that exact reason, because a lot of times in a startup, people are doing that exact thing for outreach for customers, for outreach for partners. You're, you're doing a lot of cold outreach and having someone like you who has experience of having done that successfully, I think is important. And there's a couple of things I want to go back to uh, that you mentioned earlier. One being the YC experience. Take me through what that was from, you know, even, even applying again to YC and really what was the biggest uh, value add from going through that? Yeah, I mean, I, I got rejected from YC the first time. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I did not. Yeah, we we got rejected from YC the first time, which is that's normal, man. If you if you if you really understand how um, life works and everything that we just talked about with like persistence and things like that, you got to remember that like no's turn to yeses. I'll give you another story, like I mean another like brief tidbit. Like yeah, I I started off as an investment banker in Chicago at BMO Capital Markets, but then ended up at SunTrust. But what a lot of people don't know. And when I was at Suntrust, I met my my, co, my first co-founder. What a lot of people don't know is I actually applied to Suntrust first. My search was only focused on investment banks in Atlanta in the beginning. And all of them rejected me, even though I, I absolutely aced my interviews. I answered yeah. every question right. And they didn't take me. And I ended up somewhere else. And eventually, I ended up getting recruited through them. They reached out to me, and I got to Atlanta and I came in with seniority, and it and it worked out. And the reason why I bring this up is because you never want to if you never want to dwell too much on a on a rejection unless you did something wrong. Yeah. If you didn't prepare for it, if you didn't work hard on it, then like that's that's your bad, right? And so with with our first YC application. I wouldn't say that we didn't prepare for it. We did prepare for it. Um, and I think that we did. We said all the right things. We just didn't communicate well. Like we, we, um, we didn't control the conversation. Like we let, it was, it's a 10 minute interview and we got the, we got the YC interview. And when they ask a lot of questions, we didn't, we didn't take the reins back. We let them lead the conversation. For example, they're like, well, 
what's going to happen when LinkedIn does this? What's going to happen when this does that? <laughs> and like, we just kind of like, let, like just responded to their questions. Right. Yeah. Versus like saying like, okay, I hear the point that you're trying to make and I can see how you can come to that conclusion. But the way that I think about it is like this, boom, and bringing it back to your three points, right. Or your main points, right. Being very, very clear. And, and I think that's super important just in general, where you're dealing with very intelligent people whenever they they are having a healthy debate about the future of your organization or your vision, they're going to give you thoughts that are going to either push you or take you in a different direction. They want to know if you're clear on your vision. And long story short, um, the rejection was the right thing. We weren't ready at that time. We I don't even think we had fully launched yet. Like I think we we're very early. And so um, when we got rejected, we raised a little pre-seed round. We executed. We started generating some money and applied that same year in the for the winter batch, and we got in. Right, and That's that awesome. goes, and that goes back to persistence. And and this time we really focused on get, becoming better communicators, being very clear, practicing with other YC founders, um, and doing mock interviews to where they would be hard on us and try to knock us off of our game during 10 minutes until we got it perfect where we we now know how to handle conversations like that yeah i think that's really helpful for people especially there's a lot of people who want to go to yc or you've been talking about that and i also know that i had stopped by your place and seen the the board you had up of i forget which goal it was but take me through that part of it when you're really trying to scale in those 12 weeks or so of uh of yc like what was that experience like what were you focused on for that there's a few things in our office uh, one of the things that we have hung up in our office is actually the first rejection letter from YC. You know, as soon as got rejected, um, you know, we put that rejection letter on the wall as motivation, right? And it's, and and actually, like, no hard feelings to them either, right? Like, the thing is, like, I can tell you countless stories of investors that told me no at one stage of our company at a lower at a at a certain valuation that eventually said yes and like more than tripled or quadrupled the amount of money that they gave us that we initially asked for at a higher level, <laughs> yeah. right? And so like you never want to have hard feelings, but definitely let yourself feel the emotions. Let the tears flow. Let the, let the emotions like drive you to the next level, right? To prove what you said that you're going to do, right? And then once you're in, you know, YC is going to keep you focused, right? And, you know, the biggest thing that a lot of people kid themselves on in the beginning is like setting metrics or dashboards that like give you vanity metrics. And I would say for us, like the the best way to tell that you're solving a problem and that your business model is sound is to set your KPI as revenue, right? So we were laser focused on revenue. In the beginning, we had like this metric that we called accrued revenue. And we used to talk about accrued revenue, but is that cash in the bank? No, it's not. No, yeah. So, how much money are you really making, right? And so you like stop. Don't lie to yourself. Like, YC teaches you how to not lie to yourself and tell yourself the truth. Understand the difference between leading indicators and lagging indicators. Understand um, how to not die. How to be scrappy. Understand the market dynamics. Understand. Um, your positioning in the market and things like that. But I would just say, 
it just kept us really laser focused on that and surrounded us by peers that were growing, you know, 20% monthly or more and pushing you to the next level. I'll say outside of like the YC partners and, and the guidance that they're giving you, just being in a cohort of people that are pushing themselves hard is a, is a very big deal. Uh, for example, like even today, right? You know, we, we did YC last year and then you see all your YC batchmates all raising series A's and series B's and you're like, yeah, what, what am I doing? What am I, <laughs> I gotta get on my job, right? Let's go squad. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like you want to, it keeps you, it keeps your timing and your rhythm tight. I say timing and rhythm matters. And what I really like is that even now after YC, um, we had we would have this hundred day countdown clock while we were in YC to set these like quarterly goals or hundred twenty day goals and um, um, or ninety day goals whatever. So we still do that. We still like set these like really strong quarterly goals that push ourselves and reevaluate. And so um, it's important to not lose that pressure that you put on yourself to to take yourself to the next level. Yeah, to keep progressing, uh, especially when you understand the the goals that you have. I know you guys have mentioned being like uh, reaching like a, a billion people in ten years or so, and that's uh, yeah. you want to get there through <laughs> consistently improving and improving and improving. And I know you raised almost uh, almost two million in the seed round. Then how did that go? I know you had this experience of of cold outreach and talking to a lot of people. How did it go raising funds uh, at that point for the seed round? Yeah. Um. It was interesting, man. Like, what I'll say high level is the people that you thought were going to be down for you aren't always down for you at that time, right? So, again, don't take any hard feelings about it. But, like, there's people that I really thought were like slam dunks that I had known for years that were going to cut a check. And I wasn't asking for a lot. I was asking for like, I don't know, 25,000, 10,000 from some yeah. people and they wouldn't cut the check. And I was like, wow. Like, <laughs> and I'm not talking about like, you know, people would be like, Oh, it's, it's biased towards black people. I'm talking about other black people. And there's, yeah. and there's no shade to like any fun, like being an investor, it's hard. So I sympathize with, an investor too. Like investors want to win. Investors want to make money too. And like they're human beings just like everybody else, right? Don't think you never want to take in my opinion, I don't want petty checks. Right. Yeah. I don't want you to give me a check just because I'm black. I want you to invest because you believe that we are a sound business. But I, I say this because uh, when I was trying to get into investment banking, one of my key strategies was actually identifying the people that got into banking through diversity programs like MLT or sponsors for educational opportunity and things like that. Right. And so similarly with fundraising, I took advantage of the fact that I'm, I'm black and I, I talked to like funds that were focused on diversity. If I'm, if I was a woman, I would do, take advantage of the funds that were focused on giving funds to women. Right. If yeah, I'm, I'm why not? I'll focus on that. If I'm focused on immigrants, I'll focus on that. Right. So you want to, you want to definitely take advantage of the low hanging fruit. But don't assume that because you you come from an underestimated background that you can't raise from the bigger players. And so similar to what I did to get into investment making, I created a pipeline. I created a big pipeline. And um, 
my initial approach was try to get a big, large check. Like I just wanted to get like a $1.5 million check from one fund. But it ended up me raising the $1.5 million from a lot, like a lot of different people. Yeah. That actually ended up being the better approach because now I have a cap table that reflects the world with really helpful angels and also larger institutional investors that are focused on impact that have positioned me well for the next phase that will be announcing soon. That's awesome. I think that's a good point you make of like, you had more investors on board, but that's more champions for, for career karma ultimately. Um, it's not always the case, but in this case, especially, I mean, it's super helpful to, to have that. And you went through that process of raising, um, you know, that was, that was about a year ago. You went through YC, like what has fueled the growth of, of career karma in the last year or so? It's a good question. Um, so most of the people that come to Career Karma come to us through search. Um, and so we were positioning Career Karma um, to become the category kings of the rapid reskilling movements by becoming the number one destination for career advice on the internet. Okay. Yeah. So how do we do that? Um, so the variety of different ways, right? So we have... Um, directories so we created a directory of 450 boot camps 7,000 trade schools colleges and universities um, that we can mix and match in different combinations with our engineers that can get discovered by people that are searching for them right to compare and contrast where they want to go we also have a writing team that creates hundreds of articles a month that like are amazing and, and nobody can get <laughs> that so that's that's awesome. We have really great reports like the state of the bootcamp market 2020 or the state of the ISA market that you can check out that gives people guidance. But I would say um, the biggest the biggest drivers actually are our user generated content. Right. So, you know, currently Career Karma has over a million people a month that come to us. Wow. And um, we're going to grow that to 20 million a month over the next couple of years. And what's cool is if you don't plan on signing up for a boot camp or 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 anything like that you're going to come to career come before career advice and so you're either going to ask a question or you're going to give an answer because you want to educate the community and then we can package those questions and answers into landing pages that get discovered by more people to create a really nice user-generated flywheel right and through that process, we've been able to outrank um, on some very top competitive keywords that allows us to really um, just continue to dominate search engine results pages. And so, as we um, as we continue to grow, um, not only will we will we continue to do that with with users, we're going to do that by enabling all stakeholders of workforce development to be able to create content as well. Um, you could think about the, um, you know boot camps, trade schools, colleges, universities, governments, nonprofits, anybody that wants to create content that's relevant for workers, we want to give them the tools to be able to do that, um, which we haven't done yet. Right now, everything is created by users, um, and we want to be able to do that for suppliers as well. One of the things I'm really curious about, just with looking at all you've done and kind of paying attention, you know, even in the last year or two, there's so many different partnerships and people you've kind of connected with to work on different things. How do you look at partnerships overall? How are you being strategic with them? Because it seems like you've done a great job with that over time. Yeah. 
So it's a good question because um, vetting and quality is super important. Yeah. Um, so our directory, anybody can sign up for the directory. Um, and there's like thousands of people there. Um, and we're going to continue to grow that. Um, now, the the people that sign up for our marketplace, which I ex- explained earlier about Fast Track, where you go to careercomma.com slash apply, and we match you to different schools, that is a curated group of schools that we're going to match you to. Yeah. And um, most schools fight to be in that matching marketplace because, you know, they want to talk to qualified applicants that are ready to enroll in their program, right? Because that's one of their, their acute needs. Um is getting people that are enrolled but also don't drop out and complete their programs. Um, so for us, we vet a few things. So number one, we want to make sure that the training program has a history of qualified outcomes, right? A history of outcomes. Do they get people jobs, right? Number one. Um, number two, do they have scale? Like, do you graduate at least a thousand people per year? Ideally, do you get a thousand people jobs per year? Yeah, that's that's important. Um, How frequent are you enrolling people? Right. Ideally, you have rolling admissions and you're rolling people every month. Um, At a minimum, you're going to be doing quarterly enrollments. Like maybe maybe uh, there's nobody on our platform that does like um, only twice a year, but there could be a world with that. But if you are going to do it twice a year, like is it 500 every time? Right. At least, yeah. you know, it has to be big. Like, because we want, like you said, we want to help a billion people in 10 years. And we can't do that with, like, ideally, you're enrolling 100,000 a year, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, we need to work with people that have ambition, right? And 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 frequency. Um, so that's, that's important. Do you have flexibility, right? So um, do you have an online and an offline option? Obviously, online is very important in the COVID-19 driven world. Right, that's not changing anytime soon. Um, and and also, is your financing accessible? Right, yeah. that doesn't always have to mean an income share agreement. Right, most people they pay for school upfront or with a loan, and um, you can do that if you want to. But we want to see either: do you have a money back guarantee? Do you have income share agreements? Do you have deferred tuition? Do you have uh, veteran financing? Do you have um, scholarships? Do you have grants? Do you have uh, opportunities for devices like a laptop? Um, do you have a low cost monthly option that's not going to bankrupt somebody, right? So some type of thing that shows that you really care about blue collar workers and you're not just a poverty pimp. So uh, if I was going to, if I was going to um, summarize it, we screen out all the poverty pimps. Yeah. One of the things too with that, how do you manage the so many relationships with different people in terms of just you? It seems like at least you know a lot of people, a lot of partnerships in the works. How do you kind of manage those relationships or keep tabs on those? I'd be curious about that as well, Ruben. Yeah, so my co-founder, Timor, uh, God bless his soul. (laughs) (laughs) He's the one that has been managing those relationships the most since he's also our chief product officer. And making sure that our product integrates with them. But I would say, like, um, the beautiful thing about software is that it allows you to manage things better. Right? Yeah. So we use software. Um, and we we also have definitely been 
beneficiaries of YC of, of understanding the concept of doing things that don't scale. So we've done a lot of manual things that have given us a lot of insight about what we need to do in order to make this more scalable. So all the burden isn't just on, on Timor and I, and so that we can create more self-serve options um, and, and better, better ease with payments with like Stripe and things like that. And so um, and dynamic pricing or whatever. So um, I would say most of the stuff that we've done so far has been manual. Yeah. Uh, but in this next chapter that we're going to announce soon, we're going to be um, introducing that software that I was telling you for schools to where we can um, we can uh, manage that process better. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you mentioned earlier that you know you want to make this a a good business opportunity. You don't just want to have someone give you money or a pity check or anything like that. To that point, like, what is the business model behind Career Karma then? Yeah, so people pay us. The schools pay us per. Uh, enrollment. So when somebody enrolls into a program, they pay us. So when you think about 9,000 bootcamps and trade schools and 16 million people enrolling per year, um, their average tuition is about ten dollars to $50,000. And the average amount of time that it takes to complete a program is about three to 24 months. And so when you think about the problem for a school, since there's so many options for students and students are confused. They all have to compete for enrollments. And that's not, not just for boot camps and trade schools that exist for colleges as well. Like colleges spend like 10 billion a year on enrollment management as well, trying to get, compete for enrollments. And yeah. when you think about um, just the industry in general, um, I believe 25% of marketing budgets goes towards uh, marketing to get students. So what we do is we target about 10% of their tuition, which comes out to about um, about $1,200 per enrollment for these different people, but it could go higher or lower depending on the pricing of the school. Um, so we get paid through that. Um, and then we also have different um, content plays where we can help schools with their content where um, they can pay us per subscription as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And I know you, again, going back to the point you mentioned earlier of, you know, we want to make a $100 billion company, then how does how does Career Karma become a $100 billion company? Or what is the kind of vision moving forward? I'd love to kind of hear about that too. Yeah, I think that um, if we want to become a $100 billion company, you got to, you got to, you got to take a step back and understand what our premise is, right? So Career Karma's premise is that people will change careers five or more times during their lifetime, right? Yeah. And the majority of the post-education system, post-secondary education systems focus on preparing youth for their first career, leaving that person to navigate the remaining 40 years of their lifetime <laughs> by themselves, right? Yeah. And so after buying a home, choosing a school is the second highest price had decision somebody's going to make in their lifetime, right? And the wrong decision has a high cost of failure. And people have to make that decision maybe every one to three years because people are embracing lifelong learning and aren't just staying in one company forever anymore and are going from school to school to school, company, company, company. So the company that helps billions of people anytime they switch careers or find a new training program will become the trusted advisor or brand for workers that owns the trillion dollar career and education category. So zooming back into what we're doing today in order to get to that 
that point where where you can just come to Career Karma and if you want to get training or you want to get a job, we can just match you to that. Um, we got to figure out how to go beyond boot camps to trade schools, to colleges, to universities. Um, and part of the way to do that is to um, unlock what I told you related to the supply generated content side of things where we enable all these stakeholders to start creating content that people coming to Career Karma find relevant. But I would say on top of that, creating a core action that is sticky, that enables workers to be using the platform on a daily and a weekly basis so that they come back to Career Karma anytime they want to do something new or whenever they're looking for career advice. So I would say um, that's, that's the main priority is just retention, the core action, engaging people, making sure that they are finding the career advice relevant so that anytime they want to um, pick a school, find a career, or just even just get promoted or, yeah. or even start a company, we can always match you to the right places. If you think, if you think about career combo, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Y Combinator for the people, right? Y Combinator, like for us, when we think about it, you know, you have, it, they take first time founders and they, you know, they help them get funded. And then, you know, you raise from people that are well-known. Think about that like a school. Then you're going to work yeah. for, for a few years. And then you might raise your Series A from another fund that's like also brand name, which could be another school. And you're going to keep doing that all the way till IPO and maybe forever, right? And But you're, you're always going to be Y Combinator, right? So same yeah. thing with Career Combo. Like, we'll help you get into your first training program. And then you're going to work for a little bit. And then you come come back when you need help for the job search. And then you're going to get employed and you're going to maybe give some career advice and do some group dinners and talk about your history and your success to inspire people. And then you're going to come back to career come when you want to go to the next phase. So we just want to be that trusted advisor that matches people to wherever they want to go to get you to the right hiring platforms, like a triple bite or, or whatever, whatever is out there. The world's constantly changing and we want to make sure that you don't have to worry about what changes happen in the world. We can just point you to whatever tools uh, and resources are relevant at the time. I love it. And I wanted to make sure we touch on this. Reskill America. Uh, tell people about what, what you're doing with that and kind of what the what the goal is there. Yeah. So, you know, COVID-19, uh, we talked about it a, a bit. It has, um, it has caused over 55 million Americans to file for unemployment um, since March. Um, we're in October now. Um, crazy. It's crazy, right? And um, most of the people that are being uh, laid off um, are women and people of color and people that are in frontline work and which are like retail, grocery, you know, stuff like that. Um, and many of those jobs aren't coming back. And what we learn through looking at the engagement in Career Karma's uh, forums, our discussion forums, is that... Um, a lot of these people don't have laptops and the, and the digital divide is real. And they were using our forums trying to find laptops from each other. And uh, when I shared that observation about how people were like giving each other laptops in exchange for like tutoring, for example, um, the K-Poor Center for Social Impact in Oakland uh, said that they wanted to help and become the nonprofit to help us create a, a movement to help people get laptops. And so 
Uh, Reskill America is a campaign where we are raising half a million dollars and giving away 5,000 laptops to people that have been laid off from underestimated backgrounds that want to enroll in job training programs to get jobs quickly. And so um, what I've done is I've raised a little over $200,000 from cool people like Colin Kaepernick, Square, GitHub, Affirm, Airtable, and others to give laptops to people. And I'm also talking to IT departments at companies to get them to donate laptops. Um, and 100% of this stuff is tax deductible and it goes to the individuals. Um, since it goes to the Cable Center for Social Impact, it doesn't go directly to Career Karma. We're just a facilitator. Uh, yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a big deal. And ideally, once we prove this out, we'll, we're gonna make this a much bigger program. And just so you could think about this from a social impact perspective, Imagine if we help five people, five thousand people learn how to code, and they all make a hundred thousand dollars. That's a half a billion dollar impact that you're making. Huge. Five thousand people, and five thousand out of fifty-five million is not a lot of people. So it's a very, very big deal. Um, and I know we talked about home ownership before, but there's several people in Career Combo that we've helped get jobs that also are now first-time homeowners, like Keisha Lake or Iris Nevins that work at Stitch Fix and MailChimp respectively, and they never would have been able to be a part of the American dream without our help. And they are still engaged in the platform doing things for others. Keisha Lake is a great example of someone that received a laptop that was donated to her through Naranda, who's also in Atlanta, that did not have the Rescale America campaign as a thing at the time. And we want to create millions of Keishas and, and Irises and Narandos out there. I love it. I love what you've done. I've, I've seen it. And it's a, a great thing you're doing with that. One of the last questions, the last question I have here is just that I know you, you seem to invest heavily in yourself. Any particular books that stand out or resources that stand out that have been helpful for you as, as an entrepreneur, Ruben? Yeah. The book that I'm reading right now is a book called Ikigai, um, The Japanese Secret to a Long and a Happy Life. Um, oh. The way I discovered Ikigai is... um is when I was studying blue zones and Moais. So I, yeah. I was born in a blue zone in Loma Linda, California, where people live to hundreds of years. I'm Seventh-day Adventist religion. And um, and outside of religion, like the reason why a lot of Adventists are known for living a long life is because of the way that they eat, the way that they, they live, the way that they, they carry their, their personal habits. And, um, and when I was studying blue zones, I discovered Okinawa, Japan. I've been obsessed with Japan lately. Um, and in Japan, women live the oldest in the world. And a Mawai, the concept of Mawai is when um, uh, a group of five women commit to each other when they're younger and they they dedicate each other to themselves to each other for life, not just uh, financially, but socially, emotionally, health-wise. And that leads to long life. There's a really great New York Times article called The Power of Positive People that I recommend that you read. But through studying Moai, that's when I discovered um, Ikigai. And Ikigai, very simply, um, it's not a perfect translation, but it it means the reason for living, right? And it it breaks, it's, it's a very, it's more complex than a Venn diagram, but it breaks things down between what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at, right? And then the subsets within them are your vocation, your profession, your passion, and your mission, right? And life is about search for ikigai. Um, And I haven't finished the book yet, but that's been um, 
uh, something that I've been thinking a lot about um, lately. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, I appreciate the suggestion. And where can people go to learn more about Career Karma? Connect with you as well, Ruben. Yeah. Um, if you want to learn more about Career Karma, go to careerkarma.com slash apply. I think that's going to be the most direct way to, to explore different career paths if you're serious. Um, if, you're, if you just want to ask questions in general, just go to careercomma.com and you can ask a question directly in our forum and you'll get an answer within 24 hours or less. Um, um, as far as me, you could also check out our social media profiles on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you want to learn more about me in general, it's just my name, Ruben Harris. You can Google it or you can just go to twitter.com slash Ruben Harris. Please tweet me if you found this relevant. Um, tweet um, just about Justin as well. Any anecdotes we like, we like feedback. Feedback is a gift. Um, yeah. If you want to email me directly, just go to Ruben at careercomma.com. Um, and I would love to, to hear from you. Ruben, love this interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.